and welcome to the Void Fills podcast. I'm Jax. And I'm Rocco. Void Fills is an interactive podcast where we're going to try and bust some stigmas around mental health issues, share advice and tips for getting through tough times, and we'll feature some of our music to hopefully help you relax and chill. At the end of the show, we're going to play some sounds which might be useful when helping you sleep. All the music in the show is listed in the podcast notes. You can send us any questions, thoughts, and share advice by using the hashtag VoidFills. It's important to remember that Rocco and I aren't healthcare professionals, so please be sure to speak to your doctor, a trusted family member, or contact one of the organisations listed in the podcast notes if you're worried about your well-being or safety. So let's start today's show with a question that's coming from at Spooky Katie. They ask, if you could give professional therapists, counsellors, etc. some advice from a patient's perspective, what would it be? I'm going into counselling and just wanted to get someone else's perspective on how we can improve mental health treatment. I would say that not all of them, but some of them. In my experience of having quite a few, a lot of the time they're just reading from a book Mm. and they're not seeing it from a sufferer's point of view. They're kind of going, okay, fill out this sheet. There's a lot of filling out sheets and repeating your story Mm. on a sheet saying on a scale of one to ten, on a scale to this, on a scale. Okay, that helps sometimes and for some people. But for me personally, seeing that scale of like, how bad do you feel about, you know, the way you look or something and you've got one, two, three or, you know, yeah. up to ten. That triggers stuff for me. It's just like, oh, look at my score, you know. Yeah. It's like I've hit one of the worst scores that they've heard about and now they're going to think, oh, my gosh, this guy's crazy because of my score. I think it's just a bit too regimental. I haven't had many um, sessions, but I feel like they try to depersonalise it, which I understand, Mm. like, you can't get emotionally attached to your patients, but at the same time, there needs to be that level of... I even think respect. Like, I feel like I get a lot of messages, like, we get a lot of messages on Twitter, you've probably seen, people saying, I feel like my therapist judges me. I feel like they don't, they don't care. Like at the end of the day, this is their bread and butter. This is their job. They they can sit there for an hour, however long, and they can just go by the book, like you said. Yeah. They don't have to want to help you, really. No. I see a lot of people, worryingly, most of them in the States, saying that if they can afford to get therapy, because they don't have NHS there, when they go, they don't feel like they trust them. They don't feel like they get any respect from them. They feel like they're judged. Um, and I feel like that maybe is something they can improve on, having that warmth, because you don't want to open yeah. up to someone who's cold and you feel like it's judging you, you know? No, so I, maybe I that's understand something. that. Mm. Especially the trusting. Like when I went to my eating disorder like therapist and stuff, I, I used to have this thing in my head that they're telling me to eat this, eat that, and they just want me to get fat. Every time I go there, I think, nah, I'm not going to listen to you, not going to do this, because you just want me to get fat. Yeah. That was my mental block. I just think they could improve it even slightly that if they were a bit more personal towards it, you know, yeah. okay, I understand that you've trained so hard to be a therapist and, you know, and you're doing a great job. Don't get me wrong, the therapists out there, most of them are doing a great job. But, you know, don't always stick to the book. Kind of if you can see your patient is, you know, 
really struggling yeah it doesn't hurt to tell them you know like a personal story or something that makes them feel more inclined to then trust them i think it must just be so hard for them now that they're governed by so many rules and regulations and all this kind of stuff that they can't like what can they say to you yeah what if they say something to you that doesn't work like how do they come up with this syllabus in the first place this stuff that they do like when did they come up with this realistically who wrote that book for them to train out of yeah there's no individual tailorship like i said to you there's no like tailoring to that individual being yeah and what you said who wrote this book that they studied from is great like that's a great example because someone might have written that book years and years and years ago Mm. but things that they've practiced and they want us to practice might be totally out of date and we just don't know yeah because you know we've told that this is the right way this way of therapy might be the wrong way now for the people of this generation and the generation next yeah and and obviously as we move forward in time people are getting worse and there'll be things that people have never seen before yeah how did these people deal with that you know so there's probably loads of things that can help improve mental health treatment but we're not professional this is just our perspective and how we feel we'd like someone to talk to us if we went into a session and also from seeing what people have said to us online. Yeah, you know? and it's our personal experience of knowing what therapy's like. We mm. just we want to make it a little bit better. Yeah, so I hope that helps you in some sort of way. Spooky Katie, thank you for that question. Interesting one to answer. So yeah, that's how we think that people could improve mental health treatment. We've got a question here from at holding to 21p they've asked what tips do you have for balancing your work life and your mental health what do you think Lex? terribly the thing is like it's all relative to you as a person i yeah. feel like personally i don't balance work and mental health very well <laughs> i carry my mental health with me to work and yeah. through work and then when i get home um it's just having that resilience and that strength to kind of push through it yeah. And like anything, the more you try and push through it, the less you think about it, the easier it becomes. Yeah. And then I suppose eventually you become numb to it, kind of. And that's my sad personal truth is that at the moment, <laughs> it's just normal to me, which is sad, I suppose. But that's just that, life yeah. at the moment, you know? It's just yeah. honest. No, I, I understand that. Like, I think you shouldn't have to hide it from a workplace. Yeah. You shouldn't but... have to hide it from anyone. But. I do understand that, okay, say you work in a in a shop or something, you can't greet a customer with, Oi, how are you? How are you today? Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want to be here. Yeah. But, no, I, I can understand, like, when I was doing other shows as a session player, that I would go and do a show, you know, and my way of kind of knowing that my mental health has entered that workplace is yeah. that I wouldn't have played as well. No. You know, Bearing in mind, I've gone on stage being in a rubbish state anyway. Yeah. And then coming off stage going, well, I didn't play well because of my mental health. It's just that it was a horrible cycle. Mm. And you're just going around, oh, I, I hate myself because I played rubbish, blah, blah, blah. It's a, it's a hard thing to balance, but I just think maybe just kind of treat your workplace as a, a different surrounding. But the thing is, like, like, we've both just sat here saying that we've took our mental health to work. All of you guys listening now, you need to remember that it's okay to go to work with these problems. Yeah. Like, obviously, your mental health is the most important thing. Like, you should not hold your work over your mental health. If you're having a bad day and you can't go to work, don't go to work. But what I'm trying to say is, I've just sat here now and told you that I can't handle my mental health whilst I'm at work. Yeah. So you can do that. And I'm yeah. now sitting here telling you that I do that. So, yeah. 
I'm here, like I'm fighting it. I'm here yeah. now telling you that I don't always handle it. No. And you've just said the same thing. Yeah. Like it's okay <laughs> like not to be okay. Yeah. Go into work feeling that way. You know? But I think looking back on my worst days of taking my mental health to work, I've tried it, it didn't help all the time, but think of it as a different surrounding. So yeah. you've woken up in a bad place. Think, okay, going to work might make me feel better because I'm surrounded by people. You know, I'm not at home on my own. I'm surrounded by people. Someone might crack a joke and that might lift my spirit. It's like, almost like an escape. I think if you can get into some sort of mindset of, I'm going to try and leave a percentage of my mental health at home, mm. go to work and, you know, obviously not put a mask on, but, you know, still let people know that, you know, I've got a bad day today, but they'll be more aware and they might try and lift you up a bit. Well, I'd just be a bit more sensitive towards you, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, tips-wise, I, I actually listen to podcasts on the way to work. Really? I feel like it wakes my brain up, listening to other people having a conversation. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, if I wake up in a bad mood some mornings or in, in a bad way, I'll have a cold shower. Yeah, I just helps. wake myself up, you know. Or it's just whatever you think, any of your kind of coping tools. Yeah. Whatever you think. But the bottom line is, if you're having a bad day... A bad, bad day. Just don't go into work. No. You know, don't. It's just a valid a reason as having a cold or flu or a broken arm. Like, yeah, fair one. If you've broken your arm, your arm's hanging off. But, like, depression is the same thing. Mental health, like, you look after your brain. Yeah. Your brain runs you. <laughs> yeah, if, you, if your brain goes nuts, that's it. Yeah, so just look after yourselves. That's the main thing. You're listening to this podcast because you want to find some things out. And that's what we're telling you. Look after yourself. Yeah. Take care. And next up is uh, Tomulus, who contacted us on Twitter using the hashtag voidfeels and asks the very important question. If you were a dinosaur, what kind of dinosaur would you be, Rocco? I'll be that big mother... <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Which one? There's loads of big you dinosaurs. Know, the big... What's it? <laughs> Um, the T-Rex with the little arms. I'd love to see you playing the drums in a T-Rex. Oh, is that the one that's in Jurassic Park? Yeah, T-Rex. Yeah. Oh, mate, I'm him. I'm be that little sassy one with the little things on the side of his head that like squirts crap in their eyes. Oh like, man, no, I'm no. a T-Rex. No, actually, no. I changed my mind. I changed my mind. The one that just eats all day. What the grass grazer? The one with the long neck. <laughs> yeah. And the it, one. If, that... if if a dinosaur could talk, could talk like this. Go, yeah, man. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, he likes eating green things like me. Yeah. <laughs> and he's he like that as well. So it'd be fantastic. I'm just angry, so I'll be a T-Rex. Yep. And uh, on that note, this seems like a perfect place to um, take you into the next bit of our music, which we hope you'll enjoy. Be back soon.
welcome back to the studio. I'm Jax, and that over there is the future star of the next Jurassic Park film, Rocco. Yo. <laughs> I thought you were going to do some, like, next level <laughs> dinosaurs. <laughs> so, Alex73 reached out and has asked, what artists slash bands slash whatever are your biggest inspirations? Rocco, you go first. God, there's so many. Damn. Um, Damn. Pff, okay, artists and bands first. You can't say yourself. <laughs> Go on, who? I can't do it in order. Frankie. Frank Ocean, mate. Yeah, but it's got to be J. Cole, mm-hmm. Frank Ocean, Jay-Z. Oh. Hover. Um, oh. Beyonce. There's just so many. Everybody inspires you. To, to be yeah. fair, everyone does inspire us. Yeah. Wow. When I say that, I don't just listen to them. I listen to them and everything. But they are kind of like... The way they write and... Like Kenny. Yeah, 100%. Kendrick. Yeah. You know what, when his um last album came out, I listened to it. I actually, if I'm being honest, I'd never listened to any of his other albums. Really? And when that album came out, I listened back and the hype is real. The uh, the album with the... um, it's got, I think it's like a car on a blue background. I can't remember. That was my jam. I, I think I was like really young, like just started high school when it came out. Yeah. And I was listening to Kendrick. <laughs> Kendrick. Lincoln Park. Yeah. I used to jam out to Lingham Park. My Chemical Romance was the first album I ever bought. Ever? Was it? Yeah. This is this links in perfectly, right? When I got that album, I bought it at Car Boot Sale, Black no. Parade album, right? And I bought it back, and I remember being in my bedroom listening to it, and my dad knocked on the door. Yeah. And uh, my mum answered it, and he heard, and he said, that's not My Chemical Romance, is it? Um, mum was like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's My Chemical Romance, because that's what my mum sounds like. And um, he was like, that stuff makes kids kill themselves. That's what he actually said. No. Mm. Flipping it. I know. Well, because obviously when that came out, yeah, everybody was looking at this kind of music and thinking that that had a direct correlation, a so direct connection health. to mental health issues. That was no. That was just their release of it. Yeah, but their release, but all their music before that was it's dark music, but yeah. I don't know why I enjoyed listening to that as, as a kid, but I loved that album, Linkin Park. Do you think that maybe as a kid you might have had some sort of undergrowing like mental health trying to come through and like my chemical romance might have kind of got that anger and like sadness out when you listen to it yeah like i was proper bullied when i was a kid but i don't think that ever impacted my mental health although like you know what i was thinking back the other day when i was like 13 14 and i was getting bullied i'd like walk down the street and i'd drag my knuckles across the like the wall until they bled and in my room at home i'd like bang my head against the wall loads of stuff but before i even knew about like Men self-harm and all. all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I just did it because like, I just wanted to hurt myself. It sounds really weird, but I don't think that directly like connected to that no. album. No. This, this question's got like real dark real quick. And my dad supports me a lot <laughs> with yeah. my mental health. But like, it's just it just made me laugh that that was associated with the album and how yeah. music can, like obviously at the time, that was yeah. the thing. It's kind of like a little bit of your release. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, so that, in my head, sticks out as, like, maybe the first bit of music which I can connect to mental health, weirdly, before I'd yeah. even known. So do you have anything in no. your repertoire that you think... You know, of? I think it was, like, the first CD I bought, but I was out with my mates and I had no parents around me, and I was obviously underage to, like, get this CD because it had, like, a parent advisor on it, and they were quite strict back then. And I picked up Pendulum, <laughs> like the drum and bass and it was like it was like live album so it had all the swearing and everything and then up to the two I was like yeah I want this and the guy was like how old are you and he wouldn't let me have it so I had to ask some strangers to come in and get it for me 
But that was the album that I specifically remember. I would crank it up. And I know it sounds weird, but I used to like... I love how we say that before we say something dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know it sounds weird. <laughs> but I used to just go in my room and I would scream. Like I'd put the music up so loud mm. that like you couldn't hear me. And I used to just scream until my vocal cords were just screwed. And yeah. like I think there was a time where I could like taste blood because I was screaming so hard. Like the whole time the track was on, just full pelt, just You're shouting. Not, I feel like when you're a kid, you don't understand fully yourself and how to get that emotional release. Yeah. <laughs> like I did, like I just said, I did that weird stuff. Looking back on it now, I think that is not normal. No, but I think that's your brain's natural instinct to go, like, survival. This guy's Mm. kind of getting some sort of emotional feeling that isn't great. We need to get it out of him. And then your brain's kind of doing it naturally to try and get rid of the negative emotion, I think. But that's what I So, So you're saying Pendulum is one of your biggest inspirations? (laughs) Yeah, it could be. Yeah. yeah, but I agree with all the artists that you said, apart from Beyonce. So that seemed like a simple question, but the thought pattern changed as we explored that answer. I, I don't even great, think though. I gave my proper answer, but it, it went somewhere cool, so um, we'll stick with that answer. Yeah. So I hope that helped you, Alex73. This is a bit different, but a cool question from at Zoe via Twitter, who says, the idea of Wabi Sabi really interests me. Do you have any thoughts on the topic? Now, I must personally confess that I have never heard of this in my life and I had to Google it. Yeah, I think I Googled it as well. I'm not going to pretend that I'm an intellectual because I am not. So, Wabasabi is finding beauty in things that aren't perfect. Yeah, so I saw, I think I saw an example of like a little bowl which had a little crack in it and a little chip. And I think to them, that is like the Mona Lisa. You know? Yeah. It's like finding the beauties in imperfection. Yeah. You know? And no one's perfect. No. Nothing's perfect in the world. You know? I think it's a really nice thought that someone had had and they found that something that is broken or something that's unfinished or uncompleted can still be beautiful. Yeah. I think a really good example, what what I think, when I first heard the meaning, I was thinking more around yourself as a person. Yeah. So with our mental health, well, for me personally, I have feelings of self-hate. I'm not good enough. I'm ugly. You know, all these horrible things. But Mm. for example, say you're in a relationship, that person that you're with loves every single thing about you. Yeah. And all the things that you hate about yourself. Not even just relationships, family, friends, anybody. Yeah. They whatever you hate about yourself, they don't understand why you hate that because to them, you're perfect in a relationship or family. For them, there's nothing wrong with you and you're perfect in every single way. But we see what we think is unperfect. Mm. That's non-existent to a family member or if you're in a relationship. Yeah, and even, like, loosely connected to that, like, when we write our songs, I always feel like our first demo, which is uncompleted in a word, they always tend to be, I feel like they're more of a vibe than what our song becomes when it's finished, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, like, it's not finished, it's not perfect in any sense. It's raw. Yeah, the the rawness of it, and that's nice, and I think that's, like, pretty much everyday life. Yeah. And I think that must help with people's mind as well, knowing that there's things in the world that people still find nice and beautiful when they're not, like, stereotypically beautiful. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I think that would help a lot of people's head, because... The pressures of modern day society, having to look a certain way, having to talk a certain way or, you know, 
wear certain clothes some people see through that and and see that you don't have to conform to kind of be beautiful no no 100 percent. you don't have to wear designer clothes you don't have to lose weight you don't have to gain weight for some people you don't have to do nothing yeah and you don't have to have a bowl that is perfectly smooth without cracks and chips in exactly (laughs) that's what i read from it you know like i think i want to read more into it because i think The way I'm guessing that this philosophy is um, Japanese. I didn't look that far into it, but I think the Japanese have so many lovely philosophies on life that could help a lot of people. Yeah. And I think maybe we should do a whole episode on Japanese yeah. theories and, and like that. That would be great. And then record it in Japan. Exactly. So there you go, Zoe. You have inspired a whole episode potentially in the future on Japanese philosophies and thoughts. And thanks for turning our heads towards Wabi Sabi because now we know and we can have a little look into it. And learn more so thank you yeah that's great and so that's it for another podcast also far from perfect and uh we hope you found it helpful in some way and interesting too please keep your questions coming in using the hashtag void fields and you can find us on all of our social medias we are on twitter we're on facebook we're on instagram we have a discord server we're all over the place so anywhere that we can sign up to and call ourselves void you will find us on there but until next time i've been Jax, and i've been rocco big love and we'll see you soon
The Void Fills podcast is a Zakuti production in association with Pod People Productions.